are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian, here with my co-host, Matt. Uh, you guys are going to hear a little bit of a weird part in the middle of this episode. So this is actually the second time we're recording the intro here. Uh, had some recording issues on my end that kind of caused the file to get corrupt and, and miss parts of it. So about when we're talking, I think it's right at the end of the NL Central into the NL West, you'll hear a little swap over, um, and the stats and, and standings might not be as up to date as uh, as what you, it is today because we were a day behind on that at least. But we're back at it today, a little bit of updates. We'll run through the AL East, through the uh, NL Central, and then we'll pick up with that new recording. But before we jump into all of that, how are you doing, Matt? doing great um just uh happy to be uh happy to be recording this start of give it today again because uh <laughs> you know uh the lots changed in the last day or so but uh but yeah i'm doing good um you know uh today i'm excited about this episode we've we talk about the uh you know we go a quick standings rundown and then uh we talk a lot about the potential rule changes in in baseball um in the second part of the show and we finish up with our players of the week so um I think uh, I think it was a very interesting uh, conversation we had yesterday about the about the rule changes and uh, you know I think uh, I think we uh, definitely definitely hit on something there. So yeah, absolutely a little a uh, little change to our episode um, for this week at least. So make sure to let us know what you guys think. But uh, we'll go ahead and just jump in and, and go through the standings real quick. Um, the AL East, the Red Sox have a three game lead in that division still. Um, Tampa Bay is still second, Toronto still third. The big story is still the Yankees. They're down here at 11, 13, four and a half games back. And really the story of that team has been really bad offense. Yeah, they've had some struggles offensively. Uh, Gary Sanchez has struggled as of late. Gleyber Torres has been, really been struggling. Um, and then a couple guys, Aaron Hicks hasn't been great. Um, you know, and, and then Stanton and Judge haven't gotten going to their full potential yet. Um, their pitching still worries me a little bit too, as of at the current moment. Uh, and their starting rotation is Kluber hasn't, it definitely isn't, you know, the Kluber of old. He he's looked very average. And then uh, you look at a couple of their other guys. Uh, you know, Tayon's been pretty good, but you know, not great. And uh, I mean, Garrett Cole's really been their only real reliable pitcher. So uh, the Yankees, it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. Their bullpen's still been strong. Um, but uh, you know, they, you know, if we when we recorded yesterday, you know, the Yankees were really bad, uh, nine and thirteen, and then they won the game last night, and then they're they won again today. So eleven and thirteen sounds a lot better than nine and thirteen. Yes, absolutely, so. absolutely. Well, uh, look at the AL Central. We got a surprise here. We have the Kansas City Royals actually have the best record per winning percentage in the Major League Baseball right now. Um, so that's pretty insane. We got the White Sox in second, two and a half games back, but they just did lose Luis Robert to the IL. It sounds like a possible COVID situation. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. So basically, he re- self-reported some uh, symptoms he had, and uh, they went ahead and, uh, for precautionary reasons, so he wouldn't be around the team with those symptoms. They went ahead and put him on the COVID IL, and uh, he's going to have to pass his COVID tests and stuff to uh, make sure that he's, uh, you know, good to return. But uh, good, good on him for reporting that to the to the team that way that they won't have some kind of widespread issue and um, you know, hopefully he'll be back soon. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the real surprising part of this division so far has been the really bad start by Minnesota. Um, You know, we both picked them to win the division, I believe. 
Um, I know I did, at least. Did you pick them to win? I, I picked the White Sox. You picked the White Sox. Well, Minnesota's been really bad to start, but they did have a, a pretty good game today, especially Byron Buxton. He went 5-for-5, five five and he was only a triple shy of the cycle. Yeah, the they, they did really well today. Um, you know, Buxton has had a fantastic start to the year, and if you had told me that Buxton would be hitting the way he's hitting so far this year and that the, that the Twins would still have, like, the worst record in that division – at this point that I would have been completely shocked, but they've had some other issues. They've had a couple guys like Jorge Polanco's underperformed Mitch Garver's underperformed what he's done the last couple of years. And then, uh, Kenta Maeda has really struggled so far this year. Uh, to, I think he's almost a seven ERA right now. So, um, Jesus. you know, he had been, he was an ace last year and, and, you know, a Cy Young candidate, honestly, I mean, Shane Bieber ran away with the award, but Kenta Maeda had to have been, you know, top five for that award last year. And this year it's been a mess for him so far. Um, and they've, and they've blown a couple close games too. I mean, uh, you had the game against the A's the other day with the Arias making an error and, uh, whoever was playing second at the time, it might've been Polanco, but I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure who it was, uh, made a big error. Uh, both of them, you know, in the, in, that was in part of the A's winning streak, uh, in extra innings with two outs and, and a two run lead. They made those two errors. So, uh, you know, I think they'll be okay. Um, uh, you know, at the record that they're at right now, I, I believe they're eight or nine and 15, something like that. You know, there are six games under 500, and, uh, you know, that's they're going to have to play six games over 500 the rest of the year just to get back to even. And even is probably not going to cut it in this division with the White Sox and even with the way the Royals have started. So um, it's going to be tough to uh, tough to overcome their start. But, hey, they could get hot. We saw it with the A's already. So Yeah, and, and that just the perfect segue into our next division, which is the AL West. Um, and we've talked really bad about the A's, especially the way they started the season, but they flipped that around and they had a 13 game winning streak over the past couple of weeks. And now we're leading this division by a game and a half at 15 and 10. Yeah. The A's have, have been playing really good ball. Um, you know, Matt Olson's played really well. Chapman's good. Uh, Sean Murphy's good. Uh, Jed Lowry's had a good start to the year. Uh, their pitching has been surprisingly good. And as they have for a long time now, they're winning a lot of close games. And, uh, you know, that's something that obviously is is big in, in <laughs> for, for a team like this. And, uh, you know, if you win all those close games, you know, stuff like your run differential is not going to be that big of a deal. So, um, you know, the talent on this roster, you look at it top to bottom, doesn't look great. But, you know, they're winning. So, hey, if you're 15 and 10 or whatever they are, uh, that's that's a good sign. But um, they do have a team hot on their trails, tell and that is the, the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Yeah, and then with the Anaheim Angels, they actually had a, a pretty historic start this week, and that's with Shohei Otani. He was the first pitcher in 100 years since Babe Ruth. You guys should know that name by now. But uh, that was the first pitcher to start a game while also leading the league in home runs at the same time. Um, yeah, so that's, and that's it's been a hundred years since that happened. So that's pretty historic. Yeah, that is crazy. And that, that was such a cool thing for Otani. And uh, the Angels also were missing a couple guys. They, they missed Trout for a couple games. Uh, he was out with uh, some kind of arm issue. And then they missed Rendon for a while. And Rendon's back now. So they've got a couple guys back. And uh, Rendon actually had a two run single tonight. So, uh, you know, they need to get him rounded in the form. And obviously, Trout's been the best player in baseball as he has been for the last several years. Uh, but he's on a new level so far this year. So um, good for the good for the Angels. And, uh, you know, this is a pretty interesting division at the top right now. Yeah, I saw something like Mike Trout's leading and batting average, like on base, slugging and war so far this season. 
yeah, he's like, he's really just killing it so far. Like that For is Mike Trout insane. standards, he's killing it. So yeah, I remember last year he's like, I have like an he had like an eight forty OPS or something. And he was just like, that's a really down season. Like yeah. that's really bad. And then he just came out this year and he's just dominating. Yeah, he he looks like you know that he's on one of the hottest streaks of his career so far, and that's saying something. So I think it's I don't think it's out on a limb saying that he's actually got better. Like could quite possibly be the case. That's scary. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and jump over to the NL East. Um, and I know you're you're happy that this division's being re-recorded today rather than yesterday because now it puts your Atlanta Braves back in the division lead. Yeah, the the Braves after that 0-4 start, um, they've had some good and some bad. But uh, you know, those last three games have been really good. After the the rough game doubleheader this past weekend, where they got shut out in two games in a row and only had one hit in two games. Um, so they're back in first place. Um, really the guy that has really impressed me of late that I think has kind of keyed this run a little bit, obviously Ronald Acuna's kept it going. Freddie Freeman's played, playing well, uh, different guys, but, uh, Austin Riley has been absolutely on fire. He's, he's actually up to a 133 WRC plus on the season and his batting average is up to 286. And, uh, he's looked really good. He's, he's walking a lot which is something that has been a concern for him has been his ability to lay off of pitches outside the zone. And, uh, you know, he's starting to hit, hit the ball hard again. And, uh, he's a big guy and, you know, he's played pretty good defense this year at third. So, you know, it's, we're hopeful that obviously that he is turning the corner, but, um, so far in this division, all teams are separated by less than two games. And we've had some interesting things like, like if you, we recorded yesterday, the Mets were in first place and I'm sure it'll change hands a few more times, but, um, I saw uh, Jacob DeGrom today had a start where he absolutely embarrassed the Red Sox and still lost, as as is customary with the Mets, lose the Jacob DeGrom start when he pitches eight run, one-run innings or something. So, um, But uh, anyways, the Braves are the only team at or above 500 right now, unless the, the Phillies game is in progress. And if they win, then they'll be at 500. But um, I think they're up 5-3 they're up to three right now in the ninth, so. Yeah, speaking of that Phillies game, we had a scary situation in that game today, actually. Um, and that's Bryce Harper. Uh, he took a 97-mile-an-hour fastball to the face. Um, luckily, he did get up and walk up, uh, walk off the field under his own power, but that's a scary, scary thing right there. Like, 97 to the – like, it wasn't even to the helmet. It was, like, right into his mouth pretty much. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. And uh, one other little injury to keep an eye on here in the in the NL East is um, Jazz Chisholm. He he pulled a hamstring and he was put on the IL. Um, kind of a breakout star. He's looked really good for the Marlins, but um, hopefully he won't miss too much time with that. Um, you know, hopefully he'll be back in a couple weeks or something. So, yeah. Let's jump over to the NL Central. We got the Milwaukee Brewers top this division at fourteen and ten. Um, which one of their starters, Corbin Burns, which we've mentioned quite a bit on this podcast before over the last year or so. Um, he's off to a historic start this year. He's got 49 strikeouts and zero walks already this year. Yeah, that's just insane. He, he's turning into one of the best players in baseball, um, you know, throwing upper 90s with his and, and with a lot of movement, cutters, sl- sinkers, sliders. He, he's really, really good. And uh, the fact that he's been able to control it so well this year has been the turning point. He, he improved his control a lot last year and having a big time season, even in the short season this year, he's just been on another level. And uh, he looks like the, the 
you know, a, a second ace really for that team is Brandon Woodruff's also a really, really good starting pitcher. Um, and you, you combine that with their bullpen and there's two games where, you know, you're lucky to get a run off of, of this team, but um, they, they're struggling offensively, um, no doubt. But, um, you know, with those two guys, it's going to be, you know, close to automatic wins for two games out of a week. So out of, a, out of five. So, uh, you know, if they can kind of pull one game, one other game together, then, you know, you get win three out of five. That's going to be pretty dang good if you can do that the rest of the year. Um, but uh, a couple surprises here that the Pirates are actually in third place. Yeah, the Pirates are in third place. And, and I think the real big surprise here is that the Chicago, oh my gosh, I messed that up. The Chicago Cubs are 10 and 14 at the bottom of this division right now. Um, they have been missing uh, Javier Baez and Chris Bryant um, a little bit. Chris Bryant actually came back today. Sounds like Javier Baez has a hamstring strain, um, but it doesn't sound like they're going to put him on the IL as of now. Yeah, the, the Cubs have, have really struggled. And, um, you know, I think some of their guys who they, they lean on have struggled. Coming into the season, we expected the Cubs offense to be pretty good because they had most of their offensive core from the past back. Um, you know, you really, their only big change was uh, they went from Schwarber to Peterson in left field. And those are two real similar t- style of players. But uh, so far that's been a downgrade and, and they just haven't been the same at other places. Chris Bryant's looked really good. Uh, but of course he's been out for, he was out for a couple games this week with injury, but you know, Rizzo has been good, but not great. And and then there, there are a couple of their guys, Ian Happ and uh, David Bodie have really struggled this year. Um, guys who in the past have been, you know, solid role players to even Happ has had a couple really good years. So um, it's been a struggle for the Cubs. Uh, their pitching staff started off all right. They're kind of coming back down to earth. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has really struggled this year. Uh, he's got like a seven, six ERA and, uh, you know, he gave up seven more runs tonight, three and two thirds innings. So that was a big time struggle for him, but we did have a cool moment tonight when Anthony Rizzo came into pitch and, uh, he actually struck out Freddie Freeman. And I think the main reason for that is because <laughs> Freddie Freeman couldn't stop laughing during the at bats. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, I, I saw something that they had an interview after, but Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo, those are, they're really good friends. And, uh, mm-hmm. They, uh, they always have a fun time on the baseball field together. So, Absolutely. Uh, one thing I did want to mention with the Brewers a little bit um, is that they're going to have a big series against the Dodgers this weekend um, for a game so in Milwaukee. So it's going to be a big thing to see how good that team um, – I don't think they've quite played up to you know big-time teams yet. So it'll be interesting to see how – I think they're going to pitch Woodruff and Burns this yeah, week. Yeah, they'll, they'll both be in the rotation this so. weekend. That'll be a that'll be a good series from Milwaukee to kind of gauge where they're at, and we'll bring yeah. that to you next week. No doubt. Um, but this is kind of where you guys are going to hear the little crossover to the uh, the other part that we recorded yesterday. So thanks for bearing with us, um, and you guys will start hearing that right now. Welcome back. Sorry, guys. Um, I don't know what happened there. We kind of lost connection to our server that records it. So I this is uh, I'm gonna have to figure that out post recording. So if we missed a little bit of something on that NL Central at the end. Sorry about that. Um, pretty much we just wanted to say that the Cubs are – it's surprising that they're down there at the bottom and that 
they could potentially look to you know sell off some pieces if they keep struggling at the deadline. Yeah, and 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 I did want to mention the fact that I think the Cubs' problems have been reversed from what we're kind of expecting coming into the season. I expected coming into the season that their starting rotation was going to be their real problem, but their starting rotation has generally been okay. Uh, their pitching in general and their lineup has been a problem, but they have so showed some signs of life on offense the last couple of weeks. So uh, we'll see what happens there going forward. But uh, moving on to the NL West. Uh, at the top of the division, uh, Dodgers are there, no surprise. But the Giants have actually tied the Dodgers. And I wanted to shout out uh, Buster Posey is having a really good year so far. So good for him and good to see him healthy and uh, and you know back in baseball this year. Yeah, the Giants have no business being this good right now. Um, it's it's insane that they're they're being this good. You know, we kind of thought that they were going to be on the tail end of you know kind of just playing off their contracts with the old guys, trying to hold on to that core so long. Uh, but good for them to to really still be a threat in this division. You know, we don't think it's going to hold up. We really do think it's going to be the Dodgers and the Padres kind of pulling away. But, you know, they've been beating each other up, the Dodgers and Padres have, including their series that they had this weekend, which we kind of hyped up on our last episode. Um, the Padres actually came in and took three or four in L.A. against the Dodgers this weekend. Yeah, and we obviously did hype that up and, you know, after last weekend series was so entertaining, we said, oh, this one's going to be good, too. And it, it sure lived up uh, some great pl- baseball played by both teams. Um, the the Padres actually did take three or four, as like you said. Uh, Sunday's game was in extra innings on Sunday night baseball, uh, which was awesome. Um, I also heard this weekend and, and, you know, this might be something we can dive a little close, a little deeper into on a, on a future episode as a main kind of a main discussion point. But uh, some, the baseball ratings on uh, TV ratings for nationally televised broadcasts have actually been up a lot so far. And I think that this Dodgers Padres series has had a lot to do with that the last two weeks. But uh, Tatis Jr. was the was the star this weekend, as you know, as kind of people were kind of expecting him to be, you know, at some point. Uh, five home runs in four games, and that was on the anniversary of his father, Fernando Tatis Sr., having the two Grand Slam inning, which occurred at Dodger Stadium back in 20 so so years ago. So that was really cool for Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, it really was. Been you know, we've been really critical of the Padres' decision to bring back Tatis so far. Uh, or so quick after that shoulder injury. And he kind of just showed us, you know, especially me against my own team this week that, Hey, I'm perfectly fine. Um, his defense still kind of is taking a hit. I mean, I think he already has nine airs on the season or something they said, but I don't know how much that relates to kind of the shoulder injury since that was kind of showing a little bit last year, but last year he was a really good fielder still. Yeah. One, one other thing to look at with Tatis jr. Uh, and his defense is that he tries to make so many unbelievable plays that sometimes he makes uh, uh, errors in a flashy way. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of when Javier Baez was was a young was young and, and first come up. He got to so many balls and tried to make the play every single time that even if it was a little bit over his head, it was a play that was going to be pretty much impossible to make. He would try to make it, and he would have a high error count that way, but he was still a really good defender. I think Tatis Jr. has, in a, little, in a way, been in a similar situation where he gets to so many balls, he's got such great range that you know a lot of these things would just be hits with other shortstops, but he's getting to the ball, and it's really difficult. It's making it look like an error when typically it probably would have just been a hit. So, uh that's something to look at for sure, but it's good to see him look healthy. Obviously with the shoulder, us talking about rushing him back too soon, 
some of that might have been more of a, uh, you know, that might be a longevity type thing. Is he going to make it through the rest of the season without having a re-aggravation of it? Or, you know, because obviously he looks healthy right now, just as a player. So, uh, you know, good for him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that he's back because, like I said, you know, the ratings are up. And a, a lot of that has to do with this rivalry. And a lot of that has to do with the way that they've marketed the players this year. But, you know, these young superstar players. Uh, but w- w- we might dive into that on another episode a little bit deeper. But Yeah, we might. But uh, we wanted to kind of have a different episode this time. We talked about kind of the moving the mound back and kind of what we thought that would do for the game last week. Um, and it seemed to get some good feedback. So we decided this week that we wanted to – kind of jump into more of the potential rule changes or changes that are in the game now or ones that have been rumored and maybe the minor leagues are trying it out and kind of give you guys our opinions on it and make this kind of a more of a opinion type episode for what we think the game should do or shouldn't do kind of uh, based on these rule changes. Yeah. And, and going forward, uh, if, if listeners out there, if y'all like the way that we're doing this one, um, I think that, you know, it would be really fun to do this going forward a little bit more, give it, get our opinions out there. And I think one of the big things that when we started this podcast, we wanted to get our opinions out there on the game in general and the future of the game and where it's at right now and bring that to kind of a younger audience. So I think that, you know, maybe some of these opinion type things that we're talking about are, could be a more, uh, an important way to do that. But uh, first rule change we wanted to look at, and, and we're going to look at a couple of the rule changes that have already been instituted, either both this and last year. And uh, or, or, you know, or, you know, just last year with one of them, but uh, seven inning doubleheaders, the first one we wanted to look at. And that's actually been in the news this week. Yeah, the so it kind of ties into my player of the week that's going to be, but that's Madison Bumgardner through a seven inning no hitter this week against the Braves as part of a doubleheader. Um, and then there's been, a, you know, real conversation going around of MLB doesn't consider it a technical actual no hitter because it was only seven innings even though they made the rule to make the games official after seven innings for these double hitters so right now madison bumgarner technically in mlb's eyes did not throw a no hitter while for most fans and most people they actually look at it as a no hitter yeah and this is an interesting thing to to think about because you have a i I think and and i could go either way on this because like you said the the you know, with, 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 with what they count that as, in other words, what, what you said is, is accurate. And I agree. MLB decided to make that a game, a full game, a game that's not shortened by, you know, that, that this game and a double header is going to be 20, 21 out or yeah, 21 out. So, um, you know, I think that in respect to the guys who have thrown the no hitters before that were nine inning, no hitters, complete games that, you know, to this year, Joe Musgrove, I think his performance was a lot more impressive than Madison Bumgarner's. There's been so many guys lose that no hitter in this eighth or ninth inning that, you know, they said, well, you know, I threw it just as much as Madison Bumgarner did. So I do think that there's a big difference there. Um, I think that, you know, you could maybe throw it in the rule book with an asterisk by it. I mean, in the record book, uh, I do know that there's been some circumstances before where a game was shortened because of weather, where someone had thrown a no hitter through throughout the first six or seven innings, and uh, then and they did not count those either. But uh, I thought it's definitely interesting uh, thing to look at. But just in general, the the seven inning no hitter, I mean, the seven seven inning double header rule, I I don't especially like it long term, and because. I think that one of the important things about baseball and in sports in general is that every game counts. Baseball, most of these games, a lot of the divisions come down to one or two games at the end of the year. And, you know, I think that it 
takes away a little bit of the integrity of the game if you have some teams playing different numbers of innings in their games as others. So, uh, but, you know, I think a baseball game in the major league should be nine innings. Uh, you should play nine, in, 162, nine innings or more in extra innings games. Um, but shortening the games like that, it's not, I'm not a huge fan of, especially with the fact that, you know, some teams are built differently with, with bullpen being important or with, you know, their starting rotation being important, stuff like that, where, you know, that changes how you play the game. So, you know, it's kind of a luck thing on who gets to play the double headers and who doesn't too. So that's another thing to kind of look at there. But what do you, what do you think about this Damien? Yeah, I don't like the seven inning double header rule either. I, like you said, I think it should be nine innings or more. Um, you know, it, it, it does take a taxing on bullpens or something and, and on pitchers. Um, but mo- most major league teams are very savvy on the way they use their pitchers already anyways. So they, they can work around it just fine. I, I don't think that it's much of an issue. I understand them wanting to do it this year to kind of help with the potential, you know, with COVID outbreak still being a thing that, you know, to hurry the games up and just kind of help protect and save those arms. But Overall, I don't think that the 780 double headers yeah. should stick at all. Yeah, and and like a, and and I agree 100 percent with this year and last year, as in this is something that probably is necessary because of the potential for having a bunch of games postponed due to a COVID outbreak, as we saw last year with the Marlins and Cardinals. Uh, we haven't seen a, a a situation this year where a bunch of games were postponed, but you know you had three games postponed. Um, you know, and, and if you're going to end up playing five, six, seven double headers, you might need that, that, that might be a little too taxing on a team. So I do get it from that standpoint, but um, you know, going forward, I don't, I don't really like it, but uh, our second one, and uh, this is going to be an interesting one. And I think the biggest thing we're going to talk about here is I think we're both in favor of it, but the biggest thing is how to roll it out and different variations of the rule. And that's going to be the universal DH. Yeah. So I was, I'll, I'll admit for the longest time, I was not a fan of the DH. I was an NL NL type guy the the way the no game was played i just liked it so much better um and then last year when we had the COVID outbreak and they put the the dh in for both leagues i kind of grew it kind of grew on me as it happened um and then this year it's shifting back to the old way where the nl doesn't have the dh and the al does have the dh you know you can kind of see the benefits of it of like man it, it is a more exciting game when the the starting pitchers don't have to hit and it does give those jobs to a guy like Jock Peterson or JD uh, Martinez, Nelson Cruz, even John Carlos Stanton's playing a lot of it. Those guys who aren't great on defense, but that can still make a big impact at the plate. So the way that I think that the university eight should go is yes, let's bring it in to both sides, the AL and the NL. It's not fair to keep making one team build their team one way, one team build their team another way. And then when you get meet in the playoffs, Hey, or in the World Series, when the games matter the most, hey, change the way you play the game. Somebody's always at a disadvantage there. So what I think what should happen is for the DH overall is tie it to the starting pitcher. So whenever the starting pitcher gets pulled out of the game, your DH has to go with him. And that might incentivize teams to stop using this opener strategy and and get true starting pitchers back and not play as much numbers of, hey, the guy's at a hundred or, or he's at 80 something pitches right now. He's going into the third time through the lineup. Should we leave him in, leave him in for an extra inning because the DH is going to come up or do we pull him now and worry about pinch hitters after? Yeah. And, and that's something that I think is, is really interesting. Um, an interesting idea. I'd like 
I, I can go either way on the on the, on any of them. All three choices, whether it's uh, just universal DH, just like it's done in the American League, but just for the National League as well, or the current way, which I think is cool because you know I, I think baseball is unique and that there's a difference between NL and AL teams. Uh, and how they're structured and how the game's played. I think that adds some variation to the game, and it's interesting. Uh, or, you know, that the kind of in-between version where they're tied to, um, you know, they're, they're tied to the, the pitcher. And I think that's an interesting idea, too. That kind of keeps that NL strategy in the game with, you know, different things the manager can do, different things the team can do, adding to a little bit of, you know, the, the depth of the bench has to be good as rather than just have a couple of guys in case there's an injury. Um and I, th- I think that's something that's cool, but uh, I always have been somebody who doesn't like the universal DH because of, of two things. Number one, I think that not from the way that pitchers have to be complete players, as in they have to hit as well, as in that I don't like the idea of a player not having to even try to play defense at all. Like I think that a hitter, a position player should be playing, should be playing defense. Now, um, and, and another thing too is I, I do think that there's something really cool about a guy like like Shohei Otani. Obviously, he's in the AL, but I don't think I think that as you look at like youth baseball, college baseball stuff, it all becomes more specialized as time has gone on when when it comes to pitching versus hitting. And I like just seeing guys go out there and be athletes like Otani has. So, but you're not going to see as much of that anymore. I think a lot of times guys are going to start making their decisions earlier if there's no pitcher hitting in the in the NL. But, um, you know, I see both sides of it because I also, you know, last year I liked, you know, the, the, having the DH, I, you know, and I hate seeing pitchers get hurt on the base paths. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I, Max Freed got hurt on the base paths a couple weeks ago, missed, the, missed a couple starts. That, that sucks. I mean, you know, you hate seeing that. Uh, I remember a few years ago, Adam Wainwright was having such a great year and he got hurt on the base paths. Um, and, you know, I, I don't and, – and it's also, you know – it it's not very exciting to see a pitcher go up there and flail at the plate. You know, a lot of these pitchers can't hit at all, but you know, I I do think it is cool when you do have occasionally have a pitcher that can do it all a guy like, you know, maybe not quite as much Otani because he's so rare, but like in Madison Bumgarner or, or an Adam Wainwright, as we talked about, or, you know, Carlos Zambrano from the Cubs back in the day, like Mike Hampton, some of these guys that were really good hitting pitchers. I thought that was always really fun to see. Um, and, and, and also a guy like, like, you know, we've seen Jacob DeGrom and Clayton Kershaw in the past few years kind of do it themselves games, throw a complete game shutout, hit a home run or something where they won the game by themselves type thing. So, um, I think I think there's a I think I could go either way on this. I, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they added the DH, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they didn't add it. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, for me, it, it's coming down to in any other sport, the teams don't have a different set of rules. Like in the um, NFC to the AFC in football, you don't have okay AFC you can play with eleven guys, and then NFC you play with ten guys. Like I. I at the end of the day, I think it just needs to come down to what is the general set of rules for the entire league. Like, let's make it to where everybody has the same set of rules and not one team or one half of the league has an advantage based on hitting. And then this one is, you know, you don't have the extra hitters, but then your pitchers are more in line in the risk of, of being in the uh, on the base paths and causing an injury there where the AL, you don't have to worry about that at all. So I, to me, it needs to come down to one way or the other. You either need to go full DH, no DH, or put the DH in just on a starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, 
because I, I think it does become unfair at one point to a team like even the AL, if they come over to an NL park, you know, having to have their pitcher hit in that when he's not used to doing it. And then he goes onto the Bates paths and he's even more at risk because he doesn't do it all the time. So, yeah. I, and I, like I say, I, I get both arguments and I think they're both, I could go either way on it. I, I think it's, I think it's great. I, I do think that I do really like the idea of tying the DH to the, to the pitcher too. I, yeah. I think that's a really cool Absolutely. idea so that, that's been floated around. But uh, well, the next, uh, the next little rule we, we were going to look at was uh, stuff that has to do with the shift uh, over the past, you know, the shift's been around forever. I mean, they play guys deep, play guys shallow, no doubles. There's all these different shifts. But over the past 25 years or so, there's been the extreme shifts where, you know, you bring the third baseman around and put him in short right field. Uh, and you basically have three guys on one side of the infield. And in some minor leagues this year, they have banned that shift. They say you have to have two guys on each side of the bag. So, um, and, and Major League Baseball is kind of trying that out for a potential major league baseball rule so uh what do you think about that damien uh well i don't think they've actually went to the two guys on each side of the infield just yet um the rule all players have to be on the infield. yeah yeah all players all players have to be on the infield dirt as of now um they said depending on how that works they might do the the two people have to stay on each side of the bag um but once again i kind of am looking at another other sports for this but no other sports really tell the teams what they can do defensively. Like imagine in football trying to tell people you can only have three people on the line and you can have two linebackers. Like I just, I, that doesn't seem right to me. Now in the NBA you have, Oh, you can't stand in the paint, but that's because you can't just stand there and try and block a shot, you know, for the entire time. But to me, it, this is supposed to be major league hitters. You're supposed to adjust to what's, the hardest thing to do in baseball, but or the hardest thing to do in sports in my eyes is to hit the baseball. But you should be able to adjust to where if they're if they're shifting, if they put three guys on one side, shorten up, take the ball the other way. Um, yep. You know, and as professional athletes, as professional baseball players, I think that should be a real part of your game. Like, I understand we're so much in this home run, like make you know you beat it, you hit it hard enough in the air, it doesn't matter where they're standing. But if you're going to hit into the shift and you're going to bat to, you know, 200 because of it, well, then learn how to shorten up a little bit. And while they're in the shift, poke the ball down the left side and you got an easy double right there. You do that enough times, they're going to stop shifting you. So exactly. I, I don't think it needs to get to I, I don't I'm not a fan of the general of trying to tell the people how to play the game, like of how to have a defensive strategy. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things to me, like, you know, I, other sports do have rules. Like, like you said, I mean, uh, you know, you look at football, they have a legal formation on offense. You can't have more than seven guys or, or less than seven guys on the line of scrimmage you have in, uh, you know, in basketball, you obviously have the, the three seconds in the, in the, in the paint for the offense and defense. So those guys just can't stand there, and, you know, just stand there. Um, but I think that one, one important aspect of this is that, I think it's important for the game to have guys that have bat control and can do more than just pull the ball. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. I, I think you need, I think this is a way, the shift is a way that eventually things will go back to being where, you know, guys, you know, value the ability to, to hit to all fields, you know, control yourself, control the bat, you know, uh, make contact with pitches in certain parts of the zone, certain parts of the plate. 
and uh, you know try to help reduce the three outcome issues that are kind of plaguing the game right now where you know you're not seeing a lot of balls put in play you're seeing a lot of strikeouts a lot of walks a lot of home runs and high you know high pitch counts um so you know i think that that is one one important thing to look at here i don't like that rule the rule at all um i don't like you know limiting where, where the guys can play i think that saying that you have to play you can play nine guys on defense, play them wherever they want to go, I, I think is, is the way it needs to be. But uh, if a guy can't, literally can't hit the ball to the left side of the infield, then so be it. I mean, they'll be, they won't be, they're not as good as somebody who can. So um, in the shift, taking away hits from people, I mean, they need to just be better at doing it, beating it. I mean, it's not like you can't beat the shift. You see it all the time. So um, I think, uh, you know, I think that's something that, you know, I think it's important to to look at going forward, you know, for guys to just adjust to it. It's one of those things too. Guys are going to adjust to this at some point. And when it becomes so extreme that guys are literally like right now, it, the shift takes away enough hits to where, you know, it, it hurts the player's batting average. But if they they can still hit the same, you know, use the same swing and everything, and they're going to hit enough home runs, it doesn't matter. But if they get to a point in you know where guys they're getting shifted enough then that's going to change and they're going to be hitting. It's going to be, and you're going to end up like Joey Gallo where, you know, you're hitting like 190. I mean, you might hit 40 home runs, but you're, you know, your batting average and on base is low enough to where it, it really hurts your value as a player. I mean, if Joey Gallo was hitting 240 even with, you know, that would jump his own base percentage by 40 points, 50 points. And it would jump his, you know, value. It'd, it'd probably give him two more wins above replacement a year. So, um, I think, uh, and of course, people have that extreme shift on him too. But, um, and I think it's an interesting thing. I think it adds more strategy to the game too. Uh, whether or not to shift certain guys, like Freddie Freeman's a good example. Somebody that it, it takes away a lot of hits, but it also gives them a lot of hits when you shift him. So um, definitely interesting, um, and I think uh, something to to look at going forward. But I, I would, I definitely am not in favor of change, making a rule against it. So, yeah. Well, our next rule that we wanted to look at it's kind of a two part rule. Um, it's the extra innings rule. So we have the one that is in the game right now, um, which is after nine innings, you start with the runner who was your last out on second base, and you just continue that on until one team pretty much wins. Um, but there's also another idea getting floated around. Justin Turner actually first kind of proposed this sort of an idea last year during the shutdown um, to help save pitchers, and that's kind of the NHL shootout rule we were kind of talking about in a little bit. But that's after the game you know, reaches its scheduled distance of nine innings to go to a home run derby. Um, and actually the Pioneer League decided, I think it was just today it was announced, that they want to try this out. So pretty much what it's going to be is after the nine innings, you're going to pick one batter, they're going to go out, they're going to get five five pitches. Whoever hits the most home runs in those five pitches will win. If it's tied, you select another batter and you continue going on from there until you have a winner that way. Yeah, and I think that is just absolutely crazy. I, I don't, I don't like that at all. Um, the runner on second thing, I don't like either. I, I think that it adds to a lot of cheap wins. And as we talked about earlier with the seven inning double headers, um, you know, I think that you want every game to count as a full, you know, to say it the same way. And for that to be the case, um, you know, I don't think you need to add cheap wins. I mean, I, you look at the game on Sunday, the Dodgers Padres game, and I don't think either team got a hit in extra innings. But the fact that, or might, there might have been a bloop hit or something, but the fact that the runner on second rule happened 
you know, it didn't matter because the Dodgers were able to, the Padres got him in and the Dodgers didn't. But, you know, there's a lot you can control and it's really, really hard to control, you know, where a pop-up's going to go or where a weak grounder is going to go. That's something you can't really defend against. If, if a guy hits a weak grounder to the right and, and it just happens to be to the right side, and the guy goes to third, and then you hit a pop-up that, you know, you get a sack fly on, and the other team hits a, you know, a three line out, then it's going to be a win for the team that hit the pop-up and the ground out. So I don't think that's a good thing. I, I think it hurts the integrity of the game. And then this home run derby thing just seems to me like a way to not ever play extra innings, and I don't like that at all in the major leagues. Maybe in some minor leagues it, it would be interesting, and in, in the runner on second rule has been in the minor leagues for a few years. In the minor leagues, a lot of times they schedule uh, pitchers to pitch a certain number of innings in a game. You know, guys are on pitch counts most of the time. Um you know, I think that's something that's cool, um, you know, for, for them just because they're they want to give their certain pitchers a certain amount of innings because they're trying to prepare them to move up the ladder. Um, so I think it's fine in the minors, but uh, definitely major leagues. I don't like it at all. And, uh, you know, I know that occasionally you had that 16, 17, 18 inning game. But you know what? That was so unusual that I don't really think it makes that much of a difference, honestly. I, I, I don't think it's I don't think this changes all that much on that. It really ruins a lot of the 10, 11, 12 inning games is, is what it does. And I don't like that at all. So, yeah. And, and th- my thoughts are pretty much to what I was saying during the seven inning doubleheader. I think a guy a, a game should be nine innings or more and no shenanigans around putting a guy on second base or, or anything like that. Just let the teams go at it and let the best team that day win pretty, pretty much plain and simple. Um, so, you know, the next one we had, which we kind of hit on last week, we made it kind of a deal, but that was moving the mound back. Um, it's uh, at the Atlantic league, I believe is the one that is proposing this or going to try it. Um, they're going to move the mound back a foot from 60 feet, six inches to 61 feet, six inches. Absolutely hate this. I think it takes the art of learning how to pitch your craft. If you're not a flamethrower away, because guys are going to have more time to, you know, for that ball is going to slow down a little bit more. They're going to have more time to judge how much it's moving and everything. And all it's going to do is they think it's going to help the guys who are throwing harder and give the batters more time. But really, really what it's going to do is it's going to hurt everybody else who doesn't throw over 100 miles an hour. Yeah, and I think one of the things that it's going to do as well is that when they move the mound, I think it's going to add to a lot of guys missing the strike zone more. And I think that's I don't think that's a very good thing, but. Um, the mound hasn't been moved as in like moving it forward and backward before. I think they lo- lowered it back in the 60s. But um, either way, I mean, hitters are going to adjust. Uh, you know, when you throw a 100 mile an hour fastballs, I mean, right now we've got a lot of guys that have really long uppercut swings. And, you know, to hit those 100 mile an hour fastballs, the skill set's going to change because you need guys who, are, who have real short, compact swings. Think about a swing like, like Mike Trout as opposed to someone like, I don't know. I mean, uh, someone who's, you, you know, Mike, Mike Trout's a perfect example just because he's so quick to the ball. I mean, and that's somebody who he's going to spray the ball around. He's got that compact swing. He's going to hit it hard, um, you know, and then you got guys, oh, Joey Gallo got a pretty long swing. He, he He's a power hitter. He swings real hard. He's a long swing. Uh, Jock Peterson's kind of the same way. It hurts. You know, I, I think it would, I think it's a very important thing for, there to be able to be natural adjustment in the game. And obviously there have been rule changes before that have changed the way the game's played, that kind of thing. But I don't like moving them out. And and for one thing also, 
right now, pitchers are struggling enough with control that moving the mound and changing where they have to aim is going to just make it worse. There's there's going to be higher pitch counts. There's going to be more walks. Uh, moving, going further away from your target, I think that's going to hurt a lot too. Where, um, and I don't think I think for that reason, this is never going to happen in the major leagues because the pitchers are going to pitch a fit about it. But um, I think that that's something that you know. I think it's fine for the for them to try it, and I'm glad that they're trying it. I'm glad that they're trying these things in these independent leagues because you know uh, it's not going to hurt anything to try them in the independent leagues. Um, you know. But on the big stage of Major League Baseball, I don't want to. I don't want to watch. I, we already see enough walk, strikeout, home run to increase the walks part of it. <laughs> I mean, and we see yeah. enough guys struggling with command as it is, and you know, I think that's. I think it's important to you know not have that get worse. So, absolutely. Um, so the next one we wanted to talk about was a pitch clock, um, and this has been a topic, a hot topic for I believe it's like close to five years already. Um, I do know that in between batters, I think it's a 20 second clock they have now that the pitchers must be on the rubber with the ball ready to throw. Um, but they're talking about, they want to make it in between pitches. This is kind of the Pedro Baez rules. What we used to say, uh, yeah. cause he took takes like 30 seconds in between pitches to, to throw. But I, I mean, I'm not a fan of this. I understand that you want to try and shorten the game, but I also don't understand that at all because the average length of an MLB game is three hours. The average length of an NFL game is three hours. The average length of an NBA game is in between two to three hours. Like the whole idea that the games are too long is I just think it's stupid. Are there games where pitchers take longer than others and it will drag on? Of course, that happens in every sport and especially more in baseball because we don't have a clock. But that's the, the beautiful thing about baseball is there is no clock on it. Yeah, and I, I'm a little bit on, on the other side of this because I am a guy who I've, I've watched a lot of college baseball um, and they have a pitch clock in college. I never noticed it. I think that it, one of the cool things, you know, I don't think that there's any reason that Pedro Baez should go up there and, you know, adjust his cap, look at the pitch, then get set, then step off, then look at the, again, same pitch, adjust his cap, step off. Uh, there's a lot of I think it, it's not that the pace of the play that the, the the total length of the game it really matters in that in that aspect. It's that you have like a full minute between pitches sometimes with Pedro Baez or some of these longer guys. Most of the most pitchers aren't like that. I mean most most games move along. Most pitchers aren't like that. I mean you had times where guys like like I remember I watched a YouTube video. I think it was from Foolish Baseball. Um, it was uh, about Mark Burley and how he would pitch games where he would throw a you know complete game and the game would be over in two hours. Like it was one of those things that you know that was really cool because he'd get the ball and he'd throw and he'd get in a rhythm. And I think that's important for pitchers to get in a rhythm. But um, you know I do think that there's a lot of different things that they're talking about doing that would lengthen the game. Um, that a pitch clock. Uh, you know, if if that if the issues of the game being too long, then you know moving the mound back so guys can't find the strike zone is going to make it even longer. Because I think the biggest thing right now is that it's taken four or five, six pitches for a ball to get put in play. Whereas at least, whereas back in you know you know whereas that you know a pitch clock's not really going to change that. I mean, it's just gonna guys are still going to have struggle with command and the batters are still going to take a ton of pitches. And um, so, but I mean, I, I get it. If there's nobody on base, go ahead and throw the pitch within. 20 or 30 seconds. I mean, there's really no reason you can't. So, um, but 
I mean, I, I get not wanting to change it, but and I don't think this literally puts a clock on the game. I think it just helps. I think it helps when, when there's nobody out. It helps prevent something like Pedro Baez from making people bored in the game. I, I, and I get it. So. Well, another hot topic around the game right now is between umpires and the potential use of an electronic strike zone, you know, or a robot umpires, most people call them. Um, I, I think that the umpires right now, ha- has there been egregious calls? Absolutely. But I think the umpires now are better than they've always been. Um, and, and at the best that they've ever been so far. And, and I mean, I don't know how much more room there really is with a human aspect to get much better right now, the average of an MLB umpires correct call is 94%. And, and you're talking about a game where literally hundreds and hundreds of pitches are being thrown. There's inches of difference here or there. 94% correct. I, I think that's an astonishing number. I mean, I thought it was going to be somewhere in the 80 to 80 or 85 to 89 region. So 94%, that's even a big surprise to me so far. Yeah. And you know, from watching, umpires there's a few different things that make that job so difficult and this is why i won't rag on home plate umpires usually there's there's a few times i rag on them if something's just complete like if it's quite obvious that they're trying to speed the game up to go home or something like if it's a big you know or ninth inning calls where the pitch is you know a foot below the zone and they call a strike to end the game stuff like that is ridiculous but you know most of the close calls, that, that 94% you see, most of those are decided by literally fractions of an inch. And the human eye just cannot see it, especially with something flying at the speed of the baseball. The human eye can't see that. Uh, it, it's just impossible. So I'm not ragging on umpires ever uh, when it comes to stuff that's just a fractions of an inch. Um, I, I think that th- there, there probably does need to be something happen. And, you know, there are some worries I have about robot umpires. Uh, one of them being the fact that I think the strike zone needs to change. That's kind of why we wanted to lump the strike zone change into the this this discussion because a, a lot of times in baseball, the for for one thing, when you when you look at a heat map of where umpires call strikes, most of the time it's it's not a perfect rectangle. It, it's more of a it's it's like a round it's got rounded corners kind of where like the corners are kind of 50 percent ish you know but up and down it's it's pretty accurate and but if you look at it it's kind of like a rounded corner rectangle uh not an oval but you know what i'm saying there's straight there's kind of flat edges but but kind of rounded and one thing that happens is that pitchers don't get the call on like like if you throw a pitch down and in you get the call right on the corner it's perfect pitch strike and then you throw a pitch up and away that clips the corner up and away. That's extremely difficult, almost impossible for a hitter to cover both spots. And I think a lot of times umpires will give one side of the plate, not the other, like in that in that aspect. So I think there's times where you might need to see the, the strike zone change a little bit, where it at least makes it fair for the hitters in that aspect. The consistency part of it, I think, is the important thing. Like, who cares where the strike zone is as long as it's consistent? And obviously, a robot umps would help with the consistency of it. Um, and 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 one other thing is the the up and down part of it. You know, there's guys are different heights. I mean, Jose Altuve is five six. Aaron Judge is six seven. I mean, so that strike zone changes from hitter to hitter. And, you know, occasionally you see that 
robot strike zone or, or that you see on TV or, or on like a game cast game tracker type thing. Sometimes you see them malfunction. So who makes that call if if a pitch that's right down the middle and the, the thing malfunctions and doesn't read it and calls it a ball, who's going to make the call on, oh, that's a strike? That's another thing you, you'll have to look at. But I think there there is there definitely needs to be discussion. And and in you know trying this this out in the independent leagues and some minor leagues is a good idea too. Kind of like I think they've already done that in the in that uh, Atlantic League where they tried out the robo umps and it was pretty successful. So uh, definitely an interesting thing. Um, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon in the big leagues just because of the umpires association, regardless. But because uh, they will still need umpires to call everything else on the field and it's quite obvious at this point in the season that replay is not going to get it right so yeah one idea i had which i i'm not claiming that this is a good idea at all but this was just kind of throwing stuff out there and i i, I thought it's kind of a, a an idea that maybe can put some thought into it and <clears throat> maybe it works out better than what i was thinking but what if that's having the balls and strike umpire be the second base umpire so as the home plate umpire, you have so many different things going around. You have the batter and his stance, swing, everything going in your way. You have the catcher calling signs. You have the catcher moving around in front of you. You you can't really see. Like we said, it's hard for the human eye to pick that, especially up from behind the guy. It's hard to see where the catcher actually catches the ball, how he frames it, how he does all that stuff. It's really hard to pick all those little minute details and also worry about if the guy did a check swing or not. Um, so if you're at a second base umpire, you're behind the pitcher somewhere enough to where you can see home plate pretty good. You have a better view of how the catcher catches the ball. Did the ball travel in the strike zone the entire time and miss it? Did it hit the actual strike zone, but was never really a strike. You have a better view. I believe that from back there, even though you're so far, you're, you're farther away than the home plate umpire is. You don't have all those factors going around on the inside or you know in front of your view that way everything's kind of in front of it and you kind of have a clearer picture of what's really going on kind of have like the tv type view you're watching a baseball game on tv you sort of see everything kind of a lot better i think at times than the home plate umpire does so that that's an interesting concept not that it would ever be a thing but i think in one of these atlantic leagues or independent leagues it would be an interesting factor to try if you wanted to keep that human element in and didn't want to go to robot umps about potentially having that second base umpire kind of call balls and strikes yeah and and i think that's definitely interesting outside the box it's not something i've ever heard um, i would worry about the fact that you know the distance being a problem there it's hard to see you know pinpoint you know within two or three inches from that distance but uh, but hey, it, it, that might be something that uh, that could be uh, could be looked at as, as an idea at least. Um, but uh, that's pretty much it for these rule changes. Um, I think uh, you know, kind of generally, our general consensus on, on a lot of these is that we're not huge fans of most of them. Uh, you know, it, I know we both don't like the shift rule, uh, extra innings rule. We want to stay traditional. Seven inning double headers. We want to stay traditional. We both are in favor of the universal DH, maybe not quite as much as some people are, but we both like it, and, you know, or at least I would be fine with it either way. Uh, uh, the moving the mound, we don't like pitch clock. I, I'm in favor of Damien is not uh, in the strike zone changed robo ups. I think we both think that something needs to happen there just because the, you know, from, from a human element, uh, um, it's just so hard to see pinpoint stuff there, but, but that there's too many egregious calls right now, even with the umpires being as good as they are in, in this day and age. 
But um, so uh, I think it's interesting to talk about because this is one of those topics that the future of our game, a lot of it, you know, these rule changes change a lot of things w with the future of our game, especially ones potentially like moving the mound or that, you know, that changes every single play in the game. Um, you know, a lot of these or the robo ups and the change in the strike zone. A lot of these are, are minor changes or, you know, something that's situational, like like double headers. You don't play that many double headers or, you know, extra innings. You don't play extra innings all that, you know, all that often. Um, but still uh, definitely something to look at. Uh, but uh, last thing we want to talk about is our players of the week. So, uh, Damien, um, you got a you got a pitcher you liked this week? Yeah, the pitcher I wanted to highlight was Madison Bumgarner. You know, we talked about earlier him throwing that seven inning no hitter. Um but the last couple of years, Bumgarner's really struggled, um, and he hasn't been that vintage Bumgarner self that we saw in San Francisco for those World Series runs. So it was good to see him, you know, have a really good game. I, I think he struck out nine, if I'm not mistaken. You'll know because it was against the Braves more. I think it was seven. But was I'm it not seven? Hundred percent sure. Let me let me look at that real quick. I I can find no, it. No, it was seven. Actually, yeah. it was because his K's per nine is nine. So his it K's per nine one. was nine. Yeah. yeah. yeah so it was, seven. it was seven. It was just, you know, I haven't been a big Bumgarner fan all along because of the Dodgers Giants rivalry and it was Kershaw versus Bumgarner for all that time. But, you know, it, it's still good to see the guy who had struggled for a little bit was a, a you know, a team's hero for the World Series run for a couple of years to bounce back with a new team after struggling for a couple years and come back and have a good start like this. So my pitcher of the week is Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. And uh, he, he definitely looked good. He actually, I will say that he, he, he credited the shadows in Atlanta in his post game, for it, which I thought was <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and, but it was also, it was close to a perfect game because there was an error. Um, so it wouldn't have been an official perfect game, obviously, but it would have been 21 up 21 down without the error. He didn't walk anybody. He didn't hit anybody. So um, the guy I wanted to, put in as my pitcher of the week uh was a uh, my mvp pick and my cy young pick both uh jacob Degrom. he threw a complete game shutout against the nationals this week where he struck out 15 guys without walking anybody and only gave up two hits so uh yeah that was uh possibly a guy who, who i think will end up in the hall of fame i know that he got a late start which could hurt him but if he keeps pitching like he has last few years for two or three more years then he'll definitely end up in the hall of fame uh but uh this might have been the best start of his career so that's uh, really cool for jacob de absolutely who do you got for your hitter of the week so my hitter of the week is actually going to be and and we had a discussion on who got to pick the obvious hitter of the week but uh i lost out on that discussion uh but i, I did get a good guy uh, jesse winker had a good week um he hit uh you know, 400 uh, batting average, 471 on base percentage, 864 slugging, uh, hit four home runs, including a uh, extra innings homer off of Kenley Jansen last night, which was uh, pretty cool um, that he was able to get that done. Um, well, I guess mean, not cool for Damian, but um, he, uh, you know, had a good good walk percentage this week, uh, you know, walked a lot, got on base, a 249 WRC plus. Uh, it's a guy that he's a good hitter. He's a just a solid hitter, uh, not a great defensive player in the outfield, but, um, you know, he's, he's a good player and uh, somebody who I don't think people talk about enough is a, you know, one of the better hitters on his team. So uh, good for him this week. Yeah, so it was good and bad for Jesse Winker for me um, because he did hit it off Kinlan Jansen, but he's also on my fantasy team. So I got there those points. Um, and actually, fun fact that Matt probably doesn't even know, 
Jesse Winker actually let off the game today against the Dodgers with another home run against oh, Walker Buehler. So I did not see that. Yeah, it that, just happened. I guess. I, uh, yeah, I just got the notification about ten minutes ago. So I thought it was kind of funny. You already had picked him, and he homered again. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, uh, hey, my pick's getting better and better, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so my hitter of the week, it's going to be a pretty obvious one, um, and that's Fernando Tatis Jr. I felt like picking him because not only wasn't an insane week, but he did it against my Dodgers, um, so I could just suffer that pain a little bit more. But this week, he had 26 plate appearances, five home runs, nine runs, six RBIs, and four stolen bases. So – just to let you guys know, those five homers, nine runs, and six RBIs were all against the Dodgers, and then three of those four stolen bases were against the Dodgers. So pretty much all of Fernando Tatis' stats from this week came from Thursday to Sunday, except basically one stolen base and a couple hits. Um, but he had 435 this week, a 500 on base. So he got on base half the times he was up to the plate with a 323 WRC plus and a 0.8 wins above replacement this week. So almost a full win above replacement this week alone. And really, if you think about it within four games, so Fernando Tatis, you are insane. And um, I hate that I have to root against you for the next 14 years of your career. Yeah. And uh, doing that in, in that series, uh, I think he's, he really does play up against the Dodgers. So, uh, Oh, and, and something that not only against the Dodgers, but against Trevor Bauer. Um, that's yeah. one thing I wanted to mention is that it was, it was absolutely insane. I loved every minute of it. He hit a homer off Bauer and, you know, covered his eye one eye. Cause Bauer pitches sometimes with one eye closed and stuff and had the whole dugout doing it. It's kind of a taunting Bauer a little bit. And then he came up later hit another home run and then did the little like strut kind of like Conor McGregor Bauer does that after he strikes some people out too. And he kind of did that. So it was not only was he doing very good, but he was also taunting Trevor Bauer, which I know a lot of people will love that for a different reason than I will. Cause they just hate Trevor Bauer. But I think it's awesome. Cause it's, it's, Hey, you hit a homer off me. Go ahead and showboat it. When I strike you out, I'm going to showboat a little bit too. I, I mean, I'm all for showing the emotion during the game. So that was, that was a, pretty awesome even though he did it against my team yeah yeah so that was uh that was definitely interesting and cool and um both the guys handled it well so um that's good to see so absolutely well you know that's gonna wrap up this episode sorry again um as you guys listen through this i'll try and do the best i can to to put the two recordings together i'm not quite sure what happened there so if, if in that middle you get a little bit of a hitch right there sorry about that i'll uh i'll try and figure out what happened on my end and and make that better for next time but thank you guys for tuning into this episode it was a it was a different episode for us and hopefully you guys enjoy it um and that we can try and branch off to this a little bit more often um we'll obviously still keep the rundowns every once in a while maybe once a month we'll go through a full rundown and, and keep you guys of everything what's happening but it, it it's a different a different breath of air for us to to kind of go on these more opinion-based type stuff and and kind of try and grow this a little bit more rather than just the straight facts and making it more of a, uh, like a sports center type podcast of you per se. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, hopefully you enjoyed the topic for today. And if you did, um, just leave us a comment or a rating on, a on, uh, you know, Apple podcast or Spotify, wherever you're listening and, you know, hit us up on Twitter, uh, at the bat flip podcast on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, where our personal Twitters are linked in the bio there. So, uh, feel free to, 
hit us up and let us know if you like it, don't like it. Uh, any suggestions for us, just let us know. Yeah, if there's any topics you guys want us to, to kind of hit on about that as well or any ideas you guys have for maybe these rule changes or whatever, and we'll uh, try and bring those in and incorporate you guys into a, a future episode. So thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.